Hi, and welcome to the Vancouver Life Podcast. This podcast is created to answer the most talked about questions when it comes to navigating the Vancouver real estate market. I'm your host, Dan Wartell, a licensed agent and accredited real estate investment advisor based here in Vancouver, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Dash. Hi, Dan. I'm also a local realtor, an exhausted father of two, husband of one, and really happy to be here. Let's get right into today's episode. Canadian real estate is at a crossroads. Hey everyone, and welcome back to this week's edition of the Vancouver Life Real Estate Podcast and YouTube channel. We are talking today about the national real estate market in Canada. Things have been pretty darn good if you are a homeowner in the last couple of years. Uh, We've had basically money falling from the heavens. We've seen 20 to 30% annualized uh, appreciation rates for two years. And now the things are going to change. You know, we, the pandemic is kind of becoming an endemic. I, I keep hearing the phrase and you know, the, the helicopter money is, is being pulled back now. So things are going to change. There's no question. The next two years will not look like the last two years. I think we can jump right into this, uh, starting with inflation. You know, you, you can't uh, go too far these days without hearing about inflation rate. Currently running at 5.7% here in Canada. That, you know, that print is a 30-year high. And of course, it is arguably really underestimated. Uh, many people will think or, or claim that it's upwards in, in double digits, 10, 15, even 20%. Um, if you tried to buy a house lately, you would likely agree with that. Um to start fighting that, potentially, and, and a lot of people think this is really late to the game, the Bank of Canada has started raising rates. Uh, first time since 2018, we saw a quarter basis point hike. Um, that really leads us to question, what's going to happen at the next interest rate hike announcement? It's coming in April, April 13th. It's already speculated they may go as high as 0.5% hike in just the next call. Um what will happen then? You know, we're going to bring on a mortgage specialist right after that announcement to let everybody know what they should be doing with their mortgages or if they're thinking about getting a mortgage. Um, but again, to focus on right now, let's talk about inflation a bit more. Outside of gas prices, I think we have yet to really feel the run up in the consumer goods pricing. Um, for example, the raw materials index is up 12.9% just January and February alone. for just raw materials. And you can imagine how widely impactful that is going to be. As we touched on, the government is way behind on their uh, interest rate hikes and are now essentially pushed into a corner. You know, even further. So even with that hike, you got to think, we're still in a negative interest rate environment, one that we haven't seen in over 60 years. Real rates are somewhere in between 4 and 5% to the downside, meaning borrowing money right now is basically something that's paying you to do, which is why we are seeing increasing levels of debt, often good debt, though. That's the mm-hmm. difference. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've, we're in an environment now, we've never seen this sort of diversion with inflation that high and interest rates this low. This is new. Um, obviously, this means interest rate hikes are likely. But uh, again, this is an environment we have not seen before and uh, one that everybody, especially the economists, are paying a lot of attention to and making their predictions. Yeah, and I think we got to be careful with the predictions too, because a lot of what's happened in the world, at least in the recent past couple of months, was unpredictable in many ways. Um, you know, I, I, I do think while we do talk about um, the pandemic moving into an endemic, which is 
you know, good news. Um, it is still something that we're going to have to fight. Uh, it's not over. Um, and generally speaking, uh, like we talked about, not last episode, but the one before with the black swan event taking place in Europe, uh, we've got, you know, tremendous sanctions that are now hitting, um, what would be one of the biggest raw material exporters in the world, right? That being Russia and, and actually Ukraine, right? And we'll get into that in a little bit here, but, um, the in economic environment that we're in now is markedly different than where we were just even two and a half, three years ago. So to expect the same um, results or to expect it to just continue to go up would be foolish, especially with all of this stuff changing, right? Especially if, you know, rumors flying around that the next rate hike could be as high as a, a 0.5% increase, right? And uh, I think that's going to be to try and get a ratchet on inflation, um, but we'll see. I mean, with raw material indexes continuing to, you know, climb at 13% or 6% in the last per month, I mean, that's, that's, that's a big number, right? So ultimately, if we look at this economic environment and we take a 30,000 foot view, what does it mean for our real estate nationally speaking, right? And I think if we start looking um, you start to see the uh, behavioral change that we've kind of talked about for the last month starting to take place, right? Nationally, we're looking at new listings that have jumped 7%. And that is the largest increase we've seen since 2003. Um, and the highest uh, we've seen since 2010. While that sounds good for context, or sorry, that sounds good for um, the current uh, month we're in, it's still less than 100,000 listings across Canada. And that's 50% below our pre-COVID levels. So we've got a long way to go still before we start to see any kind of significant recovery in our inventory, right? For and I sure. mean, I think, sorry, just, just for clarification, yeah, yeah. that 7% that increase, largest since 2003, it equated to 6,000 actual listings, which was the highest since 2010. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Just to clear on that, because uh, um, again, we're still looking at more than decade high sort of uh, jumps here, but definitely, definitely big numbers. But again, that context that Ryan's talking about, while it sounds good, when something is a low basis level, 7% does not have the impact it would have off of obviously a, a high basis. And like we've talked about before, you know, the market was flying at 200 miles an hour. So if our foot comes off the, the accelerator and we're coming down to 150, you have to remember that we're still traveling at an extremely fast pace, right? It's not like we're we're running um, anywhere near our averages. <laughs> For sure. I mean, that, that uptick that Ryan's talking about, that's the first time we've seen national inventory increase in over three years. Wow. Yeah. Right? So, you know, in 2019, there was 210,000 active listings nationally. Uh, that dropped down to 100, or sorry, it went down 130,000. <laughs> it got obliterated during that time. Yeah, there was less than 100k or 100,000 homes available. I mean, that's a massive, massive absorption of of inventory of active homes. Yeah, and I think that was the result of you know a lot of helicopter money, of dropping interest rates to all time lows, and people being smart, taking on good debt, right? And and um, while that's had uh, you know its own social issues, increasing the wealth divide and so on, um, 
you, you know, it was kind of, it's kind of expected if you drop rates that low, uh, and people are going to take advantage of that and they're going to try and borrow as much money as they can and put it into assets that are going to grow once the inflation comes, right? Exactly. And that's that's what we're seeing. So to complement this increase in inventory that we're seeing for the first time in three years, uh, there's also 205,000 homes completed in the past 12 months, which is uh, which is uh, nice to see. It's a high number. And there's also right now a record 310,000 homes under construction. So levels are high there and uh, should end the year basically at or or just under an all-time high. That helps. We'll be still far off the four million that the liberals have promised, <laughs> though. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, again, talking low basis levels, even with these increases, months of in- inventory nationally sits at 1.3. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's the the lowest it's ever been. And it's been sitting there for three months. Yeah. So that's that's a that's a trend, right? Um This has also pushed prices nationally 3.5% higher and 29% on the year, which is astronomical. Both of those are all-time highs. Um, The typical Canadian home now is $200,000 higher than this very same time last year. Um, Sales, however, 25% above the 10-year average uh, last month. Uh, It's not the peak, but it's clearly elevated and we're seeing that sentiment change, right? Not uh, not as um, drastic as it's been in in the past 18, 24 months, right? Um, And what's really interesting here is residential investment, i.e. the value of all of the houses has just for the first time ever pushed higher than non-residential, i.e. the value of all businesses, uh, in Canada, sitting at $2.4 trillion, right? This is a headline that might sound pretty scary um, because, you know, the only other countries to have seen this were Ireland, Greece, and Spain at the height of their respective bubbles, and then they collapsed. (laughs) However... There's a lot more to uh, to this, right? And we need to understand that because if you think that um, we're going to see a burst or anything near what Greece saw, I think you're going to you're, you're wrong for for some significant reasons, right? This is um, Canada certainly needs to ratchet in our spending and money printing, and that's happening. We're seeing what went from quantitative easing to quantitative tightening when that's with the rise of interest rates. Um, But really, we need to look at our immigration data because it's still a function of supply and demand at the end of the day, right? And we just hit the largest quarterly increase in new immigration at 140,000 new permanent residents. Um, That's the highest we've seen, right? And the feds um, have a target of 432,000 this year. And when you look at Greece and you look at those other European countries that that failed or went into default, um, they did not have immigration levels like this. They did not have industry like we've got, right? So it's only a part of the conversation and it's important to put it into context. Exactly. And you got a couple with that. Yes, we talked about houses under construction at or near record highs, but new housing starts are actually dropping down about mm-hmm. 19% 
since uh, this time last year. So yes, they're completing what's already under construction, but new applications to build new homes is dropping off of its high. And that's not what we want to see. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is all indicator indicators again about what we're talking about when it comes to a crossroads. You know, some things are still going up, some are still going down. Um, you know, before it was all up kind of thing for the last yeah. year and a half, two years. Um, but we're seeing that that shift happen. And mm-hmm. and this is setting it up to really go either way. You know, we're gonna see a plateau. And then what happens after that is going to be largely determined on the outcome of some of these metrics that we're sharing with you. Yeah. And, um, you know, to, to continue on sort of with some of those metrics, um, you know, we're seeing um, prices uh, for, you know, homeowner equity has hit a new all-time high. Let's talk about that because it's at 77%. This is the average Canadian has a mortgage of 23% of their home value. <laughs> so we could have a significant drop in values, like upwards of 75%. And the vast majority of homeowners in Canada would still be fine. would still be above water, right? And that's, that's context that needs to be understood, right? That's probably a big part of what's driving policy decisions at this point. Right. There's a lot of equity that's that's in our housing. And some of that may get eroded to rebalance the economy. Right. And that's just sort of a natural process in in finding and rebalancing before moving onwards with the next cycle. I think that should be hit home a little further too, because it's it's really important to understand that. So when you see these headlines um, about housing crashes. Any respectable economist, you'll never see one predicting more than maybe 25 to 30%. Maybe. Canadian. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So think about that. If the average Canadian home could technically drop by as much as 75% and the average homeowner would still be above water, think of that buffer that we have. Now, yes, don't get me wrong. That that erodes an immense amount of wealth in Canada. And and no, it's not going to happen. But what I want you to understand is that, you know, if it went as bad as 30, 40, 50%, most people are still making their mortgage payments without an issue and they still have more equity in their home than they have debt. Yeah. There's and, no panic button there. Yeah. And you got to remember, we just talked about um, the raw materials having gone up 13% in the last two two months, right? So there would not only be a buying spree, but then there would be a huge pressure to build more homes at elevated costs. So, you know, you're not going to see that level of of correction because the cost of reproducing the same home has gone up tremendously in, in this last cycle. Um, and, you know, unless we see a major correction in commodity prices, which based on the current economic outlook, they're going up, not down, right? The raw material cost for oil is going up. The raw material cost for wheat is going up. And, you know, this is in part, part to the conflicts we're seeing in Europe, right? And now you can see the direct correlation of why housing starts are down. That's right. Builders aren't going to build if it costs them 20% more to build, and yet prices maybe haven't caught up to that. You're not mm-hmm. going to build something if you're guaranteed to lose money on it. Yeah. Yeah. They're going, to re- they're going to restrict. They're going to restrict their supplies until they can get their margins again. And also, it's, it's very important to, to extrapolate a bit here and say, look, yes, we're talking about record homes under construction at 305, 310,000. A majority of that is purpose-built rentals. Mm. This is not end-user homes. So consider that too. Yes, that may help the rental market. Great, but it's not going to help home buyers. Also, pre-sales are being absorbed at a very, very high rate right now. Um, if you look at the completed 
and unsold inventory, it's at a new 18-month low last month. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, the homes are obviously selling before they're completed. So, uh, again, pre-sale market incredibly strong right now and, and understandable, right? There's HELOCs are being taken out at record rates. And you got to think most of those are going towards secondary, third, fourth, fifth properties with uh, with a big chunk of those being in the pre-sale sector. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes sense, right? That's taking advantage of whatever available supply there is. Um, because in the resale market, you know, we've only just started to see this uh, uh, trend in, in listings, right? So um, anyhow, let's talk about some debt to income ratios because it's kind of scary again. We're upwards of 180% debt to income. Um but let's remember that's again only part of the conversation because Canadians have nearly $7 in assets for every $1 of debt owed. And that number is trending upwards and has been for the last 12 years. So, you know, when you're a borrower and you're looking at, at this um, asset to debt ratio, why would you be stressing when you're taking out a lot of this is good, good debt? Right. Um, and credit card payment rates, they're, they're at their all time highs at 10% better than the pre pandemic levels, while delinquencies are also down 30, sorry, 30% since the start of the pandemic. Right. So that's, again, you got to have the other part of the conversation to understand why debt to income ratios are at where they are. Yeah. Canadians are clearly asset rich right now. You know, mm-hmm. if you're a seven to one asset to debt ratio, that 180% starts to look less significant and, <laughs> and is equally as important a part of the conversation. But, you know, if that, uh, if that asset ratio was more like two to one, it'd be a very different environment, mm-hmm. but it's not. And this is why the alarm bells aren't necessarily ringing. I'm not saying 180% is a good thing, yeah. but it is definitely, um, in a more sort of safer protected area when the seven to one asset debt ratio is uh, considered. Yeah. And then you, you have to look also look at, you know, our economy and it's starting to roll again too, right? Unemployment hit 5.5% last month. That's the second lowest reading on record. Um, employment rate is at 74, 75.4%, which is an all-time high. And job vacancies are also at all-time highs um, at 900,000 job vacancies, right? So if we're going to fill those jobs we need people right and if you're going to need people you got to compete for the right ones and that means that 25 percent of businesses plan to increase wages this year to get those people and where are those people going to come from dan (laughs) other countries (laughs) that's right yeah our new immigrants right they're uh you're looking at 430 plus thousand permanent residents are coming here for work a lot of them are coming here to work right Look, it's easy if you're in Canada to kind of get, you know, lost in the mix in the sense that you don't have a, a global perspective. And I'm not saying that I do, but, you know, when you do travel and you do look at the outside data, people that are in, let's say, poor or less economically strong countries that are looking for a better life, will you look to a place like Canada that has almost a million jobs right now vacant Mm-hmm. And yet has all-time low vacancy or all-time low unemployment. And, and they're saying that one in four businesses are raising wages this year. That looks very rosy from the outside. That's saying, I want to go there because that will be a better place for my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, not to consider everything else that's going on in the world, 
right? I mean, as things continue to destabilize in Europe and people continue to look around, I mean, uh, it, it's it gets a bit more interesting because um, I think you're going to start to look at energy prices. Uh, they're going to start to really go up and we're going to see a bit of a shock to our food supply chain. Russia and the Ukraine, for people who don't know, are the third and seventh largest respective wheat producers in the world. Um, and, you know, I can tell you right now, Ukraine's not going to be producing anything and people are sanctioning Russia left, right and center. Um, so, you know, their economy is going to get hit hard. So what does that mean then for Canada? Because Canada happens to be the seventh largest wheat producer in the world and the fifth largest oil producer in the world. So is it all bad? I don't, I don't, I mean, in terms of, of economically speaking for us, no, I think you're going to see a bit of a shift here. People are going to start buying or other countries are going to start buying commodities and raw materials from, from Canada. And that's going to have a direct impact on jobs and the economy. And, and uh, you know, I know we've spoken about Alberta and many other podcasts, but that market has been deflated for a long time. I think you could expect to see a large push, um, especially in the job market and, and then the, you know, treasury markets around it. And for our speculative investors out there, start thinking Saskatchewan mm -hmm. because there might be a big lift thanks to the wheat demand. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we can see this, you know, it's getting, it's going even further, right? Um, Canada and the UK have just started negotiations around a free trade agreement, right? So, you know, where they were, where the UK was probably getting a lot of raw materials from uh, places across Europe, they're now looking to North America, right? Um the U.S. has been the largest oil producer now for some time. Uh, I expect that'll increase as the taps turn on to make up for the uh, supply shortages that Russia would have otherwise produced, right? So, yes, we're going to see some corrections here because we've, the past two years, we've had to stimulate our economy to stay afloat. But now with this conflict happened and money is now moving around in a different way and it's coming into North America, uh, likely more so than it was in the past. So, you know, where, where do we kind of go from here? It's, it's interesting because if you look at long-term debt cycles and, uh, and short-term debt cycles, it's kind of like a corkscrew, right? I think we're going up. And then right now, like Dan said, we're kind of cresting, right? We're going to see the rise of interest rates to correct some, some of these imbalances that are happening in our market. Expect it to kind of do a bit of a corkscrew. Right. And that corkscrew is going to be a short term debt cycle as opposed to the long term debt cycle that we've just gone through. And so um, I think we'll see some readjustments. I think we'll see a bit more balancing throughout the year uh, before we start to see things continue on uh, with the trajectory that they, they've been on, but maybe just not the same pace. Perfect. Well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up today. We are in uh, unknown territory. You know, a lot of the predictive models have uh, been blown out here just because, um, you know, when you enter a space for the first time ever, you're going to be learning as you go. So 
with that in mind, uh, real estate market is interesting. It is at a crossroads. So what is best for you? Well, that depends on you and your specific situation. We'd love to talk more about it. Please reach out to Ryan and I anytime, and we're happy to see what it looks like for you. Is it a good time to buy, sell, or invest? Uh, we're happy to give our very honest opinion. And I will say, somebody reached out to me yesterday. She'd only owned for two years. Her life changed, and she asked if it was a good time to sell. Honestly, she would have made a hundred grand in two years, and yet we came to the conclusion that for her, renting it and holding it made a lot more sense because I think she will do better long term. That's the kind yeah. of advice we give. So, um, yeah, reach out to us. Thanks again, as always, for watching and listening, and have an awesome day. That wraps up this edition of the Vancouver Life Podcast. For more information on this podcast and to access a ton of free downloads, investment opportunities, current market info, and homes for sale, you can find it all at www.thevancouverlife.com. Thanks, and we look forward to bringing you more podcasts about Vancouver real estate.